Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Zero Restriction. They are a longtime sponsor of the show, the Fried Egg Podcast, and I uh, want to thank them for uh, being a part of this year and a special part of this year, Summer School in Scotland. So they will be sponsoring our, uh, our voyage across the Atlantic over to Scotland for the Open Championship and some golf as well. Really, when you go somewhere like Scotland or Bandon, which we uh, we work with them closely on our winter trip to Bandon to make sure we were weatherproof, you know, they're the 15th club in your bag. You know, you got to be prepared for all elements and uh, zero restriction will get you there. So this year, they will be over at the old course as well. They'll be in the merchandise tent at the Open Championship, the 150th, as well as they will be the official outerwear provider of the 2022 President's Cup. So we trust them. Uh, You should trust them too. Check out all their stuff at ZeroRestriction.com. And thank you to them for the long-standing support of this show. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Today's episode is with uh, Tom Doak. It's another edition of The Yoke with Doak, and this is a special one. This one is uh, really a table setter to get you in the mood for the 150th Open Championship, which will be hosted at the Old Course at St. Andrews. So this episode really just goes into detail about the Old Course, and Tom talks about a ton of stuff. And um, yeah, thank you to him for the time. And uh, we can't wait for the Open Championship. So without further ado, here is Tom Doe. Hey, uh, with the Open coming up at St. Andrews, I know that's a, a very special place to a lot of people, but uh, it's, a, it's a place that you love to talk about. I, uh, I figured that'd be a, a good first jumping off uh, point for this. And uh, I'm, I'm going to St. Andrews and... Uh, in the old course for the first time in my life. And I was curious, you know, I'm going to be there for like a whole, a whole week. I'm not going to play, but I'm going to watch a lot of golf. I'm going to walk a lot. Um, what, what would be your advice to uh, a first timer like myself? You know, I've never been there for the open. Uh, my advice for first timers generally is something you won't be able to do, which is go out there on Sunday and walk around. I think I'll be able to. I got the credential. So Okay. Well, maybe you can then. That'd be great. I mean, you know, Sundays, the old course is, is famously closed. Um, and it's a public park. And you don't, there's more town folk like out on those first two or three holes going out and coming back than there are further out as you go. But there's people like walking their dogs and, and walk, you know, giving their kids a ride in the stroller and stuff pretty much all over the golf course for most of Sunday, which is, which is really fun, but it's about the only time that you can be out there and kind of linger and have a look at the contours and the features because, you know, because the other six days of the week, it's a factory and you know, it's just one group after another. And, you know, at the old course too, not only do you have to be aware of the people playing behind you, you have to be aware on several holes of the people coming the other direction, coming back because, you know, your fairway could be in play for the other, from the other fairway, uh, you know, on a significant number of holes. And so it's, you have to have your head on a swivel if you're out there trying to walk around and look at it, not actually playing golf. And you'd hate to, you know, ruin around a golf there by trying to look too much while you're playing. Do you think I, I've heard from so many people that they, they feel like they didn't get it the first time around and, and then they feel like they get it more and more. Do you think part of it is like sensory overload or is it more like that's the nature of golf where you take yourself on a guided based off of where you hit it? 
it's well, a it's it's by far more complicated than other golf courses because the hazards that are out there aren't placed in obvious spots. And a lot of them you can't even you can't see very well from the tee. So, you know, you don't you don't see a hazard until you get up by it or past it. And you're like, oh, I, I would have played different if I didn't know that was there. Um, so there's that part of it. Uh, you know, just the lack of visibility making it hard. And then, you know, some of the things that are that really make certain holes challenging are little features and contours that you're just not likely to pick up the first time, unless you're a shaper or somebody who does this for a living, there's no way that you're going to really get that. So to me, it's like, you know, people are excited to be there, but it's, you know, that, they're having a hard time picking things out visually that they can remember, especially on the first few holes going out. I think that, you know, one of the reasons that the incoming holes are more famous, two reasons, one, cause you're playing toward the town and you have something to aim at. And two, you know, you've got the out of bounds wall in play or on 14, or you've got the, the full fence line for the railway line on 16 or the hotel on 17. Whereas, Going out, you've just got the, some gorse and the new course over on the other side, and there's nothing there to really latch onto. Is oh yeah, I remember that's the third hole because there's another gorse bush over there. <laughs> so just you know, at a very rudimentary level, uh, you know, hazards, you know, them being real hazards and almost strategic hazards, where it's pretty easy if you avoid them. And playable if you avoid them, but if you find them, you're you're in for in for a tough day. Yes, and that's what you know when you first get interested in golf course architecture. You know, especially if you're a kid, you know you're drawing golf holes and and you're drawing these little bunkers, and you think about them as hazards like that. But the truth is, most golf courses, most of the world, those bunkers are not very hazardous for good players anymore. And you know. At St. Andrews, at at the courses on the open rota, that's not true. They are real hazards. And even the best players in the world are really focused on plotting their way around that place to so it's hazard free. Driving it in the bunker is a penalty. And there's not many places they deal with it. In a way, um this is kind of a bigger open-ended question that spawns from that. Um Obviously, the I think the construction of bunkers over there has a lot to do with it. The the pot bunkers, you know, where you you know you can just right. trickle in and you can be dead. Um, why do you think that in America, bunkers have kind of gone the complete opposite direction in a way where where you hear people say good players, especially, get in the bunker, and they've become they maybe aren't as penal. Well, there's a couple of things that go into that. I mean, one is we're way too focused in America on the bunkers being visual objects and making them pretty and making them dramatic. And when you build, you know, and you hear, you know, not just, you know, not just people that are interested in golf course architecture, even the people in the business doing the work, they talk all the time about the visual scale of the bunkers. And none of that applies to St. Andrews. You know, you know, my guys want to build a big bunker. So, you know, so it's in proportion with other features in the landscape. And in Scotland, they're not at all. They're tiny little things, but you don't really, you know, they don't, they don't look so ticky tack as people think because you also don't see them very well. They sit down in the ground. So they're in visual scale by the time you get up there to see them, but they're not in visual scale from the T. Do you think some of that has to do with the contours around them where the, the bunkers are, are, are small in proportion, but, but they actually play really big. Like the bunker you see, the sand is actually just the small part of the overarching bunker because of the way the ball seems to feed into them. Yes. Uh, sometimes, not all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, on a lot of golf courses, the bunkers don't gather so much. So, so they are just, you know, randomly, you know, if you hit a hundred drives, you're only going to wind up in a bunker three or four times. 
But, you know, at Muirfield, at St. Andrews, at Hoylake, at some of these places, yeah, the ground around, you know, the, the bunker is sort of in the face of a little hollow and a lot of the hollow kind of gathers balls into the bunker. And then sometimes too, you, you know, like Muirfield is probably the best example. I, one of the reasons I love Muirfield so much is because they, the shaping is so good at 3D. Like the, the actual sod wall may not be, you know, like the road bunker where it's six or seven feet straight up. You know, you may only have a little two foot wall at the base of the bunker, but then there's another two or three feet high and six or 10 feet away from you that's mowed really tight. And if you don't get over that, it's just going to roll right back in the bunker. Uh, and that's something that's, you know, we're kind of afraid to do that in modern architecture. All of us has had drilled into us drainage, drainage, drainage. And you don't, you know, if you've got sand flared up the face, you can't afford to have that short grass rolling down from the top because every time it rains, it's going to wash out all the sand that's flashed up. You can only really have the ball rolling into the bunker like that if the sand's just flat in the bottom. And if the drainage is so good underneath there that when water collects in the bunker, it goes away pretty fast. Now, when I, when I, when I lived in St. Andrews, if they had a big rain, the bunkers would be full of water for a few hours. And they've put in a ton of drainage. You know, most people don't realize that place is really low lying. It's only like, you know, 10 or 15 feet above sea level. So, you know, there wasn't much place for the water to go before. And they've put a lot of drainage under the thing now. So those bunkers do pump out quicker. Yeah. And, and that, that's a, those bunkers are a perfect example of what you're saying because they're flat on the bottom. The water goes in and then they, they, they obviously have installed more drainage to drain it out yep. where they don't have to worry about washouts with the, with the sod stacked faces. Right. No, washouts have never been a problem there. You know, wind erosion is a problem sometimes on bunkers in the UK, but washouts pretty much aren't. Uh, what, what are some of your favorite shots to hit and to watch? Um, I assume when you were working grounds out there, you watched a lot of go- golf, um, you know, anecdotally, what what were some favorite spots of yours to watch or play? Oh, well, a lot of them are just little short game kind of shots. Um, you know, so so going out the, you know, the, to me, the two most underrated holes are the second and the fourth. The second, if the flag's over in the left half of the green, you've got some pretty severe rolly mounds to go you know, kind of rumble over if you're going to roll the ball up there. You can play to the right of them and have, an, you know, the, the ball just runs onto the green and you've got maybe a 30, 40 foot putt over there behind the mounds. But if you if the pin's in the bowl behind the mounds, you know, you don't want to land it just short of the green because you might land, you might land on the upslope and it stops and you might land on a downslope and it goes all the way through and over the back. You know, so you've got it, you know, on a shot like that, you've either got to fly it over everything, which is hard. You can't do it downwind and stop it anywhere near, or you got to land it like 30, 40 yards short and let it roll all over all that stuff. If you, if you land it short, you know, all those rolls just kind of cancel each other out. You know, you start, you know, the ball lands at, you know, say elevation zero and it goes up over a mound and it slows down, but it gets to the top of the mound and then it speeds up and it's kind of back to where it was by the time it gets on the green. Uh, but, you know, but you can't fly and land it on that downslope. Then you've got real trouble. Uh, the fourth hole, instead of, you know, kind of a big ridge that you're rolling over, it's just a little, not quite pointy mound, about four feet high that's right in front of the right in the middle of the approach to the green. And again, you know, that thing is just going to deflect your ball any direction if you hit it. So the one thing that you can't do is fly the ball and hit it, you know, and then you've only got between that, there's, there's some really devastating greenside bunkers to the left of there. And you've only got about, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 yards between the mound and the bunkers to try to, you know, 
to play through that side. So, you know, you tend to miss the green right, but if you, you know, that's actually a hole that if you could drive it way left, it makes that opening feel a little bigger. It's, you know, it's hard to get to a pin in the back. If you do that, you're kind of playing across the green to the right, but you know, at least you've got a little wider entrance, you know, you know, the ball not going to hit the mound and get deflected into the bunkers on the left. I think people think of strategy uh, in golf architecture so much as hazards, like we talked about avoiding hazards. And obviously that's a huge theme to the old course, but something that's kind of illuminating with those, those two holes and shots that you described there is that all uh, a huge part of the old course is, is the ground contour. Yep. Another one is the 12th green, you know, it's a short par four. It's, it's, drivable for a lot of these guys now um you know a a lot of the commentary used to focus on these hidden pot bunkers in the fairway that were really built for when you played the the course the other way around because so you can't see them and you could drive over most of them pretty easily but you know to me that you know at the end of the day that hole is about the green you know there's there's kind of a big hollow in front and then there's a little shelf where they put the hole and then it f- slides back down pretty hard off the back. And that shelf from front to back is only like 35 feet. So, you know, landing a wedge on it and having it stay there and not jump off the back or spin back off the, into the front is really, really hard to do. And you really don't want to be, you know, you want to drive it up there close enough that you can chip or pot up the slope. You don't want to have to, you know, you don't want to have to play an aerial shot to that if you can possibly avoid it. Even as good as the pros are, you know, it's just, it's too difficult of a shot unless if the wind is in your face, maybe you have a chance to hit that shot, but it's really not the high percentage shot ever, which again, that's not something you see pros deal with a lot. Usually they can take it in the air pretty close to the hole if they want to. Yeah. I mean, did you, you know, the, I think some of the things that you're talking about, these smaller shelves, that's something that you, that you've used with Memorial park as particular. I've used that, to, used that on yeah. every golf course I've ever built. I mean, high point had the, the, the seventh hole at high point was a little short par four and I had a little narrow shelf along the back of the green and a deep pot bunker behind it that came straight out of the old course. It's like the idea of being able, having a wide range of, of pids, you know, that tiny shelf makes the golf hole excruciatingly difficult, you know, right. especially for somebody that's trying to make a three. And you expect right. on a short par four, if you're a very, if you're a pro, playing the open championship to make a three. And when you put that pin, what it does is, you know, whether the pro, the pro can tell themselves as much as they want that they need to play conservatively and avoid big numbers, but they get to certain points where they cannot resist. Uh, And that's really, you know, the, what golf architecture at, at, you know, when, with the highest level of the game is, is that you've got the most conservative players and the architect is really trying to tempt them to do something they don't want to do. And those small shelves on short shots are a good example of that. And, but then also you could have pins on that hole that are extraordinarily easy. And right. Right. And, you know, for the open championship, the, you know, the green is really wide. So for the open championship, they'll put the pin along the sh- different places along the shelf all four days. But, you know, if you and I went there today and played the golf course, the pin's probably down in the bowl in front and it's not nearly as hard of a hole. Uh, so it th- that's one of the ways that St. Andrews, you know, is playable for the average guy. And yet it's still a challenge for great players is, is there is a tremendous variety of things. And, you know, I've had good friends, you know, one of my mentors in the business or not really in the business in golf is Bill Sheehan from Chicago, great amateur player. I met him when I was in college and, you know, Bill won the senior amateur and then he won the British senior amateur. So they made him a member of the RNA and he calls me after he's a member and he's like, I'm going to go play in that fall meeting. And he's like, 
And he'd, he'd only been to St. Andrews, I think once or twice before. He said, I'm going to go play in the fall meeting and um, I'm looking at the scores that win it. And I think I, you know, I think I got a pretty good chance. And I laughed. <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, wow. They use the same hole locations for that that they use for the open or the amateur. It's like the course is six shots harder. <laughs> He's like, oh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, get a, yeah, get a really good caddy and maybe you can compete, but it's it's not the same golf course. <laughs> That's uh, I you know something that I I always think about um, is something that you said to me while you were playing the loop years ago was about green shapes and I, I i i think about this with like the 17th at at st andrews a long par four um that you know obviously it's a par five sometimes and par four for the tournament and uh with it being a narrow green uh, for really good players that narrow green on long holes versus that shallow wide green that you talk about with design on shorter holes uh, I'd love to hear in, in a good example, the, uh, the 12th, which we just talked about is a wider, shallower green with, with some shallow targets. Talk about that design feature in terms of what it does, you know, in terms of perceived difficulty, maybe. Uh, it's not perceived difficulty it's actual difficulty. So that, you know, you, you, I mean, you'll see a lot in Britain that the, the sh- the longest, some of the longest par fours have the smallest, tightest greens, which, you know, the average golfer would think, well, that's unfair. You know, you're, I'm hitting a long shot. This should be the big target. That's sort of evolved, you know, when the, you know, the road hole is, is one of the holes that hasn't, the length hasn't changed in a very long time. So, you know, back in the day that you were hitting a short third shot into that green, not a long second shot when it was first started. And since then, they really haven't been able to do anything about that. So that narrow target, you know, it wasn't really built for a four iron or now they're back to hitting eight iron at it or whatever. Um, But, you know, so a lot of those holes just kind of evolved, but that's what makes them so compelling. It's like, you know, this is kind of unfair by most people's standards, but guess what? I got to decide what to do about that because there, there it is. Um, but the, you know, the one thing when I worked for Pete Dye was they, the USGA just came out with the slope system that Dean Newth had spent all this time, you know, they'd studied statistics, you know, it was like the earliest research on like where, where average bogey players miss it as opposed to scratch players. So they could try to come up with the data to do this, this slope system and how to rate golf courses. And Pete knew that, you know, I had a math oriented brain. So he asked me to spend a little time with Dean Newth and also to study, you know, their findings really carefully and tell him, you know, if there was anything in there that we could use to make the golf course harder for really good players and comparatively not as hard for average players. And the one thing that I did find that I picked out pretty fast was on short shots, you know, the pro is going to hit it in a really tight circle, obviously, but he's going to miss short and long about as much as he's going to miss left or right, because it's a short shot. And, you know, a pro's not hitting a, a wedge 10 yards offline or 15 yards offline. I think I think any good player would, would think of this and say, if I got to take a little off a wedge, that's when I get that little over-the-top pull that goes five yards long and a little left. and Or I, I don't, you know, it's like the brilliance of 12 at Augusta, long left, short right. Yes, for right-handed players. Yeah, for right-handed. Um, so, you know, and the average guy with that short shot, you know, I can miss a wedge 10 yards right every day, you know, just fan it right. I do that every time I play. It's fur- it's infuriating. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get the distance pretty close. You know, I, I know how far I hit, you know, I know what a hundred yard shot feels like. So I'm going to get the, you know, I'm going to get the distance pretty close, but I might miss wide. So that wide and shallow target, that's not so bad for me. 
Whereas that, you know, that little slope in front is going to bother a tour player as much as it's going to bother me. Now you go to the other extreme, you know, when, when you've got a really long shot into a green, you hit a three iron or whatever to green. Great players, tour pro level players are remarkably consistent on their distance control. You know, they don't miss that 10 yard short ever. I was talking to, we were working on the, we, you know, we've been doing some work at the Renaissance Club and I was talking, Padraig Harrington is consulting on it now. And I was talking to him about it and we were going through the course hole by hole, actually looking at a laptop with the hole diagrams. We got to the 17th, which is kind of a 200 yard par three. There's a nasty deep bunker front left. And you don't see it very well from the tee. And Harrington said, oh, I forgot that bunker was even there. And I was like, it's one of the nastiest places to be on the golf course. How could you not think about that? And he's like, well, they can't put the pin right, right behind it. Cause there's a little slope away. So the pins always eight or nine yards back of the bunker. He's like, I'm never going to miss it that short. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, cause, cause, cause I'm going to miss 20 yards shorter along, you know, the, the tour pros are not going to miss shorter long, but because they're way further back, they're going to miss wide. You know, it's just proportional for them. The farther you go back, the more, you know, instead of three yards left or right, now it's eight or 10 yards left to right. So a skinny green is hard for them, or at least it's, it's, it's much harder for them than the, the shallow target, the shallow target. They're never going to miss the shallow target. And, you know, this all came about, I think, because I was I was looking at the scorecard and I was like, wait, why is the slope 120 for this golf course? It's way harder than that. And and this was, you know, the response and it makes total sense. It's like, you know, having caddied basically my entire childhood, the chances of of a, a 15 handicap hitting a 430 yard par four and two are are so small to start with by making right. it narrow it it doesn't really have a big impact but transversely a hole like the road hole where you have this super narrow target you've got a hair a hazard behind it and you've got a bunker in front of it it all of a sudden it puts a good player it, it, you could wrap yourself into a pretzel worrying about where where to miss and you've got a longer shot in where you're going to naturally miss those directions more often. Right. And you know, that the road hole, the one thing about it is it's not like Augusta. It's like, it's turned the other way. So, so the, the long, you know, the long pole, you might get away with it, except for there's a very deep bunker there if you don't, and you're a little less likely to go in the road. Cause if you're going right, it stays a little short, but even so, you know, to me, that's one of the most fascinating, that'll be one of the most fascinating holes to watch this year because, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, even the best players in the world didn't really try to hit, get it back to the hole there at all. You know, they, it, was, it was kind of on par with the right pin at 12 at Augusta or 10 at Riviera. It's like, everybody knows it's stupid to try this. So nobody did, but now they're driving it so far you know, they can be hitting eight irons or nine irons and they don't want to lay up to the front of the green if they're hitting an eight iron or a nine iron approach. And that brings everything else back into play. Mm -hmm. It's, it actually works. It's like that McDonald quote back when I think the Haskell ball came out where he talked about how certain holes get better with distance, certain holes get worse. This might be when you put a shorter and shorter club, it might force players hand that psychological, I'm going to deviate from my strategy so to say yep i mean that's that's probably the best example of it because you see how it's evolved over a hundred years like you know somebody might you know somebody might say let's restore it to being a par five and you know everybody having a short third shot to it but it's held up really well whether it was whether some people are playing it like a par five or people are playing it like a long par four or now it's it's kind of a short approach for the best players it's still a compelling hole. Now for a quick break to uh, talk about something going on in the Fried Egg Pro Shop. ProShop.TheFriedEgg.com uh, We have a wide selection of golf photography 
think we're up to 50 plus courses, maybe 60 courses that are listed in the pro shop. Uh, we now offer canvas prints as well as paper prints uh, that are framed or unframed and metal prints uh, that people seem to really like. So if you go to ProShop.TheFriedEgg.com, we're having a 4th of July sale. It'll be on all weekend long, and it'll be 15% automatically applied to your order at checkout. So go uh, go see if, you, if you're looking to spruce up your office, uh, your basement, your you know one of the rooms in your house. This is a great opportunity. Um, the prints uh, and the photography, it's a great way to support us. Thank you, guys. And uh, it's 15% off all weekend on the prints. Now back to Tom Doak. I'm curious with, um, you know, we're, we're talking about this in distance in the old course. Um, you know, obviously they've built a lot of new tees and I'm not sure when the last time you were out there, um, is, but they, it seems like the rough has been encroaching. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, on kind of the evolution of the old course in recent years? Yeah. I mean, it's been, when did I walk it last? It's probably been uh, the last time I walked it was for that NBC documentary that's been on a million times in the lead up to the open. And which was really cool. We, you know, we went out and walked on Sunday and talked about it a lot like we're talking now, except like pointing at features, which was which was really fun. Um you know, I do think, you know, the the setup, you know, the it's, it's kind of like, because they have the open there every five years, plus or minus, you know, it's become like a lot of U.S. Open courses have, you know, like Shinnecock, they narrowed up and then they never mowed it back out to the same width, to the width it used to be. And Pinehurst, that, you know, that was a big failing of Pinehurst number two for a long time. They narrowed it up for the open and then, you know, they just kept it narrow and took away a lot of the strategy. And they've done that at St. Andrews, too. You know, the for sure, this, you know, the 16th hole is just shockingly like, you know, you used to be able to hit it left of the principal's nose and it would just run forever out there in between 16 and three. And the farther it went, the worse an angle you had to the green and the harder it was. And now that's all rough. And they're trying to make the rough as thick as they can. But, you know, you'd be worse off if the ball just kept on going, you know, a good player would be worse off. The average player would be much better off if the ball was on short grass over there. Cause they're probably not hitting the green in two. Anyway, they just, at least they find the ball. So there's four or five places around the golf course where they've taken away angles, you know, and sometimes they're taking away angles that are bad. You know, it's like the hard thing to, you know, the, the hard thing for a lot of people to understand is sometimes Sometimes the hole is harder if your ball keeps going offline instead of stopping. You know, the more it, the, the longer it goes, the more acute the angle is going back the other way. And, you know, I mean, on 16 at the old course, you're playing back toward out of bounds as the further you go left. You know, if the pin's kind of on that front right part, you're playing to a very narrow thing with with a big hollow in front of it and an out of bounds fence, not that far behind it. I mean, and that fairway used to be, it just was short grass all the way left. And now it's thick rough. Yeah. Yes. There, there was just, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, the, the, the third fairway and the 16th were pretty much mowed together. And now there's a big, you know, band of rough coming back in from the 16 green and three T side that didn't used to be there. You know, seven is another one that like, it's not a problem for the pros, but you know, I'm shocked at like, it's a long carry from the tee now to get it out in the fairway. And, you know, the average player isn't playing it from nearly as long as the pros, but it's a pretty, you know, it's a carry to get to the fairway now. And it used to be, you know, the short grass came way back. And I, I just, that one, I don't really understand why they changed it because it doesn't seem like you know, it doesn't seem like it's adding any strategy and it's, it's not like the pros are going to miss that short ever. So <laughs> I, I haven't figured out what, you know, why they did that. I, with this in mind, I, I, we got questions from a couple people. Um, there's somebody I'm, 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 uh, that I work with who, who's really, he's been banging this take 
uh, and I'm curious your your thoughts on it. Okay. <laughs> he said he says that uh, that the old course should just should be retired from the open rota, and and it should go you know it should go the way of Prestwick and just go back to its you know be itself. Well, I mean, obviously that's never going to happen because the RNA runs the open, and the RNA is based in St Andrews. So, you know, I, I mean, I would say. One of the things I like about that dynamic is that it does it puts more pressure on the RNA to do something about equipment instead of just doing something about the golf courses than it does the USGA because the R because the RNA's home is one of those championship golf courses where all these problems show up. You know, the USGA doesn't have to worry about that. Oh, that's Marion's problem. That's Oakland Hills' problem. The RNA, it's our problem. So they have a little more skin in the game as far as what to do about equipment long term. They just they you know they keep putting tees back in and further and further back, but they don't have much room to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Half the half the round seemingly is spent walking back to tees on other courses. Yes, and you know, I I I did play. I played the golf course once in tournament conditions after, after we finished working on Sabonic, uh, my client, Michael Pascucci, who played in the Dunhill every year. And one of his founding members, Johan Rupert, who runs the, you know, is the chairman of Dunhill and runs the event, uh, invited me to come play in the tournament as part of, uh, you know, helping promote Sabonic a little bit. So, uh, so I played, three days, you know, Carnoustie, St. Andrews, Kings Barnes. And, uh, uh, you know, played a couple of practice rounds in the old course too. And seeing it set up with the pins in really hard places. And it's the only time I've ever really gotten to do that. Uh, so I played with Andrew Oldcorn, who played on the European tour for years, probably on the senior tour now. But, you know, Andrew is not a very long hitter. We were playing into the nasty prevailing wind you know into your face off the left as you're going out is a hard wind but that's that's not uncommon in St. Andrews and he was playing some of those back tees for the first time because he played the golf course for 20 years on the European tour played it every year but you know there was a new tee way back on two where he could barely you know he could barely get it to the fairway and the left rough had been pulled in and it was really nasty over there he made a quick six there. And there were like two or three places that he really had to like, he struggled to figure out how he needed to play the hole now because, you know, 30 yards longer, it was much different for a short hit. Um, and again, it's like, you know, you've got all these little wrinkles and, you know, not quote unquote hazards out there, but things you have to take into account in playing the hole and you're bringing some entirely different ones into play when you go further back. So, I mean, it is a golf course that changes around a lot. You know, it's kind of a shame that they don't, you know, there's, they're so interested in what the winning score is that they don't, you know, they're just on the back tee as far back as they can go all four days on every hole. I think, you know, like, I don't think they, I don't think they play eight way up one day, like the USGA might do. It'd be a fascinating tournament if they did some of that because guys would not know where to hit the ball or what club to hit from the tee on some holes. Yeah. I think that's one of the things, right? Is that it's a golf course. Like, you, you know, everything that I've read and, and listened to and, you know, heard you talk about other people talk about is the effectively randomness that you feel with the bunkers. But then when the wind changes into different directions and, that all of a sudden it makes sense. And in theory, as a tournament setup uh, organization or tournament set per, uh, staff could create that randomness all four days of the tournament with the, with the way they set it up. And also, you know, I think one of the things that people lament about distance is the idea that certain aspects of the game aren't, aren't tested. If you throw score out of the, out of the equation, 
you can effectively do that with just setting up the golf course, making par fours. Oh, you, I want to see you want to see somebody hit a long iron. Why don't we turn this par four into a two hundred and fifty yard par three for the day? You know, if you don't care about score, right? Right, right. And then the other thing is, and I don't think it's appreciated enough. I I really picked up on it in Houston the last two years. Is you know that big driver? It's not just that it enables people to hit it farther they're so much more consistent with it. They know exactly how far their carry distance is. And it's not like, you know, when I played golf with Ben Crenshaw 30 years ago, there was a difference between hitting the ball on the screws and just hitting a normal drive. And it was like 20 yards. Yeah. But that's not a factor for tour players anymore. It's like, I can carry a 305. And if the water's 299, I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm never going to miss it. Six yards short from 300 yards. <laughs> that's that's the thing. And that's crazy that, that that the equipment is that consistently good that they can just, you know, I can play really close to something because I know I'm not going to lose distance. I, I did an experiment a few years ago with, with modern equipment versus uh, persimmon versus like hickory. Uh, I never published the results. But like for me, who's not a tour pro, the difference between a miss hit and a good hit with a driver is like 10 yards with the modern stuff. When right. you get the persimmon, it starts to become like 30 yards. 30. Huge, yeah. huge yeah. difference. You you know, that left that left miss is awful. It flies nowhere. The the heel cut just just goes nowhere. Um, and then, you know, with now with the current drivers, they go like effectively the same distance. You know, like a lot of times you miss it and it just runs further. It might not carry quite as far, but it runs further. And um, I think that's like one of the obviously I think that's it seems like that's an area it's been highlighted uh, uh, by the USGA and this uh, very, very long, arduous process, which I think that has to be that way for because of lawsuits um, potentially flying. But, you know, that seems to be one of the areas of interest with the high level game is is removing some of the forgiveness that. You know, the forgiveness was created for the 18 handicap, but it helps the the tour right. pro more so than anybody else. Definitely. Because, you know, the tour players, it's like they're pretty consistent anyway. Yeah. But when you give them that equipment, their confidence level is just unbeatable. And that's the, th you know, that's that's what we go back to that that we're, we're trying to cut into a little bit in architecture is like given some things that make them a little uncertain, but if they know exactly how far the ball goes and they know exactly how far that bunker is, they don't make many mistakes. I think, you know, actually in, in Britain, the, the mistake that they can make is the ball rolls out too far into a bunker that they didn't think they could get to, like happened to Adam Greg Scott Norman in the playoff for the open, you know, adrenaline on high downwind. He thought there was no way he's driving it into that bunker from the tee. And he did, you know, that wouldn't happen to him on the other end though. It's, it's like, if he's trying to carry something, he's going to carry it. Yeah. It's, um, that's, uh, that's the thing, right. Is that, you know, and you could do that with setup. One of the most famous things, one of the most famous, I think, moments of 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 great setup, and it's on a hole that I would not consider a great golf hole, is the 16th at the Olympic Club. Yeah, you I know, knew the one you were going to say. I remember it's, that. Furyk, he didn't know what to do. He's leading the U.S. Open. They moved the tee up, and he doesn't know what to do. And yeah. because of it, he hit, you know, a shot that you'd never see somebody that's leading a major championship hit because he was confused, uncommitted, and didn't know what to do simply by moving tees. And I think that's like something like, it's just, if somebody went out and shot 57, then, you know, the the public backlash would be, you know, so crazy. But in a way, somebody shooting 57, you might provide a, a more well-rounded test doing that with a varied setup. Yeah, I mean... You know, when we started talking about Houston, one of the things that Brooks Kepka asked for that we couldn't really put into Memorial Park so much because there were so many trees was to put tees on different angles and, you know, make them play from different places. So they had to aim at something different because, you know, now if you 
if, if, if they're playing from the same tee all four days, usually, you know, the old course is kind of a, maybe an exception to this, but usually, you know, they've got some landmark, a tree, a scoreboard, something that's the line. And they're just going to aim at it four days in a row. And, and he was like, you know, no, make people think more about what the line is. And, you know, just, you know, if you move over 15 yards, you can't aim at that thing anymore. Yeah. With, uh, with the old course, obviously uh, something that'll get brought up a ton is the uh, roots of it being reversible in the beginning. You've played it uh, in, in reverse. I did. I, I played it with uh, Eric Iverson and Don Plasek one time, yeah. you know, back when we were, it was actually just before we were starting old McDonald and, you know, but it was one of the first years they had it reversible. And, you know, I had walked it once reverse, you know, on a Sunday just to try to figure out some of the things. So I was not flying blind for every, you know, for, for the other guys, it was like, where'd we go? <laughs> I mean, it was very hard to pick out what you were supposed to do on some of the holes. Now, some of that too is, you know, in the early, early days, the place was grazed and all of, you know, the grass was short pretty much everywhere. Now they've got some mowing lines, like we were talking about, and the mowing lines are all based on the way that they play it now. So I'm sure it was more playable when there wasn't rough right up to the back of the 14th green. So when you're playing the hole in reverse, you have to carry it, you have to fly it onto the putting surface, you know, but that's, you know, one of the big differences right off the bat is there were three or four holes. There's, you have to carry rough in front of the green when you're playing backwards. And I don't think it was that way when they played it in reverse a hundred years ago. I'm guessing that it was all very patchy, you know, who knows what lie you're going to get everywhere kind of uh, golf. Well, the weird like... part was, you know, when in doubt, sometimes you would like, you know, drive it over to the other fairway, <laughs> you know, even though you're coming from way over here, let's get over on the fairway that they're still maintaining the approach for. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe they'll they'll eventually get back to that where it's just short grass everywhere. Um, with uh, what what holes did you think? Did you, were there any holes that you thought were better holes playing reverse? Uh, no, there were no holes that were obviously better playing in reverse. And obviously, there's you know, there's two or three really famous holes that you know you're like you're at St Andrews and you don't get to play into the road green from from there. Actually, that I mean that holes a that is a good hole from backwards playing down the first fairway and then into the narrow part of the green, the road bunker is kind of turned away from you just a little bit. So you don't, you're not staring it in the face like you are the other way, but it's still, it's a really hard little pitch shot going, you know, it's, it's narrow between the road and the bunker still. Um, And you know, playing up the 12th fairway where you are seeing all those little pot bunkers in the way and then hitting across the big bunker to the left of the 11th green onto that green. That was a frightening shot, uh, even though it wasn't, it's not a very long shot again, but that was still like, that was definitely a wake up call. But, but other than those, not really. I mean, and, and those holes, you know, they're great holes the other way too. I can't say they're better, you know, you know, playing the first hole backwards is not the same as playing the road hole. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, one final question on the old course is, uh, you know, if, if you were, you know, it, I assume, I, I think I know the answer to this, but like, if you were in Scotland, you know, say, and this is just, I'm, I know you're going to hate this question. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're going to hate it. Um, <laughs> say, say you're like, Say you just live, you all of a sudden, your life's there. Okay. And you can put, and all the courses are in your backyard. Is it the course you're playing the most of any course in Scotland or is there, is there somewhere else? St. Andrews in North Berwick. You know, I've played North Berwick more than St. Andrews because of working at the Renaissance Club and them being so nice to us while we were there. Just, yeah, go out and play in the evenings. Don't worry about it. And, you know, and I've been going, I've been going back there for, you know, almost every year, the last few years. And if I play, if I play anywhere outside of 
there, I'm going over to North Berwick and playing it again. It's just, it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's more flattering to my game than the old course is. And you don't, it's not as hard to access, you know, yeah. the old course is just busy is the main problem. So I haven't really played it nearly as much, you know, I've played it maybe 20 times, but I haven't played it nearly as much as I would if access were easy. Um, but it's a fascinating golf course. You would never get tired of playing there. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the busy, I always know which resorts are the busiest because, you know, people always are reaching out to me to go see their places and places that I've never gotten, a place that I've never gotten an inquiry about coming out to is, is the old course. I don't think they need any, they don't need any help. So it should be a great open. We're looking forward to that. And, uh, and we'll uh, thank you so much for talking about it with us. This uh, it's, it should be a great table setter for everybody uh, to get in the uh, Open Championship mood. Have fun over there, man. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Yoke with Doke. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. Wonderful job as always. Uh, as a quick reminder, we have a print sale. Uh, we are doing a big print sale in the pro shop. It is 15% off uh, all prints through the, the 4th of July weekend. So go in there, check it out. If you want to spruce up your office, spruce up your basement, spruce up any room in your house, this is a great opportunity. We have uh, over 50 courses. We have metal prints paper prints as well as canvas prints new offering so you get 15 percent automatically this weekend go uh check it out and maybe dress up your walls this weekend thank you and we will be back on tuesday we'll talk with garrett morrison who was on the ground at the live event in portland um and then friday uh we will have more open championship preview content really trying to you know just get you guys in the mood for the open thanks again for listening to another episode and we'll be back on tuesday